Welcome to Bang on the Money, the feminist financial podcast aiming to smash the taboo around money through honest conversations about mistakes made, lessons learned, and the money myths that hold us back. This podcast is for educational purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. Anna Codirado is a freelance journalist, campaigner, podcaster, and founder of FJ and Co, a platform for freelance journalists that provides written advice and panel events. Earlier this year, she launched the Fair Pay for Freelancers campaign, an open letter calling on the media industry to pay its freelancers fairer, better, and faster. Her podcast, Is This Working?, addresses today's world of work, and through her weekly newsletter, The Professional Freelancer, she shares the ups and downs of freelance journalism. She writes about everything from pitching articles to recognising the value of your skills outside journalism. In one newsletter, she writes, The pivot to freelance is a feminist issue. As much as I love freelancing and as empowering as I find it, having to leave traditional employment to find fulfilment in work is not an indicator of equality. It just highlights that work as we know it is failing women. It took me really not long to realise that payment was a massive issue for freelancers. And that it was something that I personally experienced very early on into my freelance, you know, career, and something that all my freelance friends talk about. And I had been spinning the idea of doing a campaign around, and what happened at the pool was the straw that broke the camel's back. So the pool was a women's website, and it had lots of really fantastic writing on it, and they went bankrupt at the beginning of the year leaving also staff members were out of pocket I think by about a month salary at least and also freelancers were left really heavily out of pocket some freelancers kind of had unpaid invoices in the you know pushing ten thousand pounds I think what that situation highlighted is that when freelancers invoices go unpaid the freelancer is essentially acting as a creditor to the large company and if the worst happens as was the example of what happened in the pool They are the absolute bottom of the pile. So the Fair Pay for Freelancers campaign, I started in February. And essentially, it's an open letter and it's calling on the media to pay its freelancers fairer, better and faster. Uh, And it kind of outlines three key problems. One being late payment. Um, And so, well, companies basically just not paying on time. And more specific than that, there is an issue around late payment fees. So you are actually entitled to a late payment fee if... A company doesn't pay you on time but at least in the media industry that's just not respected um, and also there are a lot of antiquated payment systems that companies use which kind of create bottlenecks and unnecessary red tape and then the third ask is an end to payment on publication which is something that's it's very typical in the media where you typically can't even invoice until a piece has been published and Sometimes you have So, for brain. anyone who doesn't know, how much of a time scale are we talking about? It can be months. If you're if you're dealing with a company that um, works in print, often you'll be commissioned months ahead, and then the piece you you know we won't see the piece for a number of a number of months. I've had this actually with one company recently who keep changing. They commission something, and they've commissioned me a couple of times, and they've changed the publication date. I think because they've not been able to secure the funding they needed for that particular project and then they pushed back the publication date and then that has obviously impacted when you can invoice. Um, 
and it's a real big problem and it's very frustrating so and it's so weird like it doesn't yeah. happen in in no. other industries no. that you could it's it, the whole process just seems so much more difficult than it needs to be yeah and it yeah and it doesn't it doesn't have to be like this i mean you know there are plenty of other industries where you know web designers are a really good example they'll only send you half of the files you know you you pay for half of the work and until that you've paid your final installment they won't release the files to you i guess it's tricky because there's just one article so there's not really mm. it's not much you can't just I can, send them like yeah, exactly. 200 out of 400 yeah it's, so it's tr- <laughs> it's tricky but that being said in the content marketing world there are a number of platforms out there where they will pay you half of the fee when you submit your first draft and then when you submit your revisions you get the second half paid and they kind of use all this is sort of done using a tech platform so you know there are solutions out there Mm. have you seen any changes since launching the campaign um so and i don't i'd I would love to think this was as a result of my campaign, of my campaign, but it is something that is on the radar of the Small Business Commissioner. It's something that's on the radar of the Federation of Small Business. Um, I am having kind of various conversations with people who might be able to help push the campaign forward. Mm. Uh, but you know, as with anything that requires large change, things move very slowly. Obviously, trying to make a living from pitching pieces, getting them commissioned. And then of that huge delay on payment can make managing your money even more difficult. So what's your advice for someone who's looking for different types of work and managing their money mm. in a different way? So this idea that you should have multiple income streams is nothing new. And it's also not necessarily something that only applies to freelancers. Even if you work in a job, it can be a really good thing for you to have another way that you make money be that through invest and you know an investment in the stock market or i mean a pension scheme is kind of an additional revenue mm. stream sort of in the long run or property or a side hustle but you know there are other ways that you can make additional revenue and it's even more important when you're freelance to not put all of your eggs in one basket i mean i speak specifically from the point of view of journalists, but I think this is true across all freelancing and whatever discipline you're in. So you have other ways that you make money. For me, I think what's really great for um, about journalists is that they actually have lots of transferable skills that they might not necessarily realise, that they actually can turn into revenue, research speaking, interviewing, all of these things, you know, you can go and host events, you can chair roundtables, mm. you can... Because normally journalists are basically really good communicators. Yeah. So if you look at the broad communication, you suddenly go, oh, there's loads exactly. of other things. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, you can also go into teaching journalism at, uh, you know, there are lots of different kind of institutions that have that have guest lecturers come in or Mm. part-time lecturers and all that kind of stuff um you can do shift work so you can essentially go into a newsroom and either cover someone's holiday or do the weekend shift or whatever it is so that's kind of that part-time regular work um you can if you've been working if you have been working for quite a while you can then you can go ahead and you can consult so you can whatever your area special area special whatever your specialism is you can consult in it so I I know someone who for a long time wrote a lot about women in leadership 
as a journalist and she is still a practicing journalist but she also goes into businesses and does workshops so there are all sorts of things that you can do and if anything it's more of an issue to actually just sort of pick a couple of them um i find that actually there are just there are lots of opportunities out there at, you know the most obvious one is you can do writing that isn't for journalism outlets so you can do copywriting copywriting sponsored content essentially anything that kind of falls under the corporate writing bracket those opportunities tend to be a lot more lucrative than um even writing for mm. newspapers and magazines and that is a skill that you know you are you, you there's nothing you have to actually do to change it mm. So, um, yeah, so I think those, those big headlines, because you write for the New York Times and many other publications, do you find that that's actually a much lower, like less lucrative source of income? How does that compare to other writing and work that you don't do? Uh, yeah, I think on the whole, the content marketing and sponsored content work that I do pays when you work it out as a day rate, because that's the other thing is you typically get paid by word and that when you actually factor in all of the additional work you have to do for the more prestigious the publication, and rightly so, you know, they are very rigorous in their editing process and in the amount of um, the sort of expectations they have. So once you've kind of, even though a, a word rate might look much higher, once you've sort of factored in all of the additional work, it kind of works out to a lower day rate. Um... And typically I have found that content marketing pays a lot better. I even did a piece of analysis, which I wrote up. Where yeah, I read that. Yeah. That's where it's so good. Yeah, I tracked my time, which I was actually doing for... I wasn't... I was actually just using an app just to um, just to help me kind of time manage. And it, I ended up being... Is that able, the Pomodoro app? Yeah, well, yeah, it's the Pomodoro technique. is basically just essentially set a timer for 25 minutes and you, you kind of... You focus on one task at a time. But... You give yourself a five-minute break, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. But there's a kind of plug. I don't like to use my phone as the timer because I don't like to have... I would like to have my phone away when I work. So I now have this plug-in on my browser. And anyway, cut long story short, it is collecting data. And so I did this very nerdy exercise where I just had a look at how how different publications kind of stacked up against each other in terms of a day rate. My best paid gig was a content piece of content marketing that paid 10 times more than my worst paid gig, which was a piece of journalism. When you first started doing journalism, did you write for free? Yes, I did. And I think it's terrible that we are in this kind of catch-22 where... In order to start a career in journalism, you need to have a portfolio, which is kind of understandable. You need to prove that you can write. But that has led to needing to write for free to build that portfolio. I kind of realised I wanted to be a journalist when I was at university. So I worked for the student paper and I got quite a lot of clips that way. So I guess working for the student paper doesn't... I mean, obviously I wasn't paid, but I was a student, so it doesn't... Mm. It's different. But I did then go ahead and write blogs and gig reviews and all sorts of stuff for free. I actually did ask to be paid in some instances um, and got told no. So it wasn't through lack of me trying to be paid. It was, you know, this was, what, 2009? And when Mm -hmm. I guess it was more acceptable to kind of not pay people to write, although I know it's still happening now. Um, And I think that we should be in a place where publishers, any kind of publisher, anyone who is 
making a website and need content and there is any kind of commercial gain for them, they should not be in a position where they can be commissioning stuff for free. Mm. Uh, I don't think it's... I think we also need to change this kind of, oh, well, it's such a love of the craft and love of writing that you'll do it for nothing. Because sometimes you do want to do that if you're doing your own blog or your own project, but ultimately it is also a job. Exactly, exactly. And it's interesting because I had had a conversation with someone who, before I I kind of started um, the membership option for the newsletter, and I guess before I was doing the events... I had a conversation with someone about my newsletter because that's technically me writing for free. But in the long run, it has really paid off both literally and also in a kind of more intangible way in the sense that for whatever reason, quite a few editors read my newsletter, even though it's about freelancing. And I have got commissions just because I'm sending that regular email and I'm in people's inboxes. It's also a example of my writing. I've started getting a lot more commissions for more kind of voicey essay type pieces recently. And that's because I, and I've, I've never been someone who has typically written essays before. It's always been reported features and um, interviews. I typically don't kind of write opinion pieces. And I guess in, in some ways, some of the things I write in my newsletter are opinion pieces mm. about freelancing. Is it giving you more confidence in those pieces? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, I definitely am not going to now kind of become a columnist who writes about my life, but at the same time, I'm experimenting with a type of writing that I otherwise um, didn't used to do. Mm. But I think it... I would not... I'm not going to sit here and tell a you know, fresh-faced graduate not to write for free because they shouldn't have to. But I think the problem is with the system. And I think it is unfair for people who are kind of further enough in their career to just say, oh, don't write for free. Because that puts all of the onus on the individuals and the people at the beginning of their career to kind of come up against you know the something that's so some, much bigger exactly than them. exactly yeah. um but yeah i mean i i don't think you know i and free work as a freelancer is a very kind of muddy and complicated issue because what something i've noticed is um something that i've that i call scope creep where you get commissioned to do something or you get you know you agree to do a piece of work and the scope of it starts changing as the project goes along and you kind of get asked oh could you also do this could you also all of this kind of add on mm. and before you know do you it feel like people equate like freelancers oh well they'll do extra stuff for free because they need the exposure and things like that I think sometimes that's going on. I think also it's not knowing that freelancers just work in a really different way to a staff, to a member of staff. Um, I mean, in in every contract, it's really typical that underneath your job description, there's a line about that basically says, you know, you can you have to do additional work that is at the kind of whim of the I'm I'm kind of being facetious but yeah yeah yeah, you know it kind of says you know and you'll perform extra duties as seen fit by your manager that's not the case with freelancers the reason you're freelancers because you don't have to kind of do that random stuff that is not in your job description but that attitude I think people who work in offices they still carry that attitude when they're dealing with freelancers um I haven't I haven't been asked to do stuff for free for a very long time um 
yeah, exposure does not pay the bills. I wish my credit card company accepted exposure <laughs> as a payment method. <laughs> Last time I checked, it did not. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a travesty. But what I will say is, if you are starting out and you need clips, be smart about how you get them. If you are going to write for free, try and do it in a way that will ultimately benefit you. Start your own blog, your own newsletter, even if you can kind so it's of... it's more like an investment. Exactly. Yeah. Um, if you really, really feel that, oh, you know, if I write this, you know, this this publication will let me write this thing, but actually this will be a really good clip to have for the long run. If you can't see any other way out, fine, do it. You know, but are there ways that you can make it work for you? Can you get the editor to kind of help you finesse the work? Can you, you know, what, is there something that you can get in return? Or, you know, is there a way that you see this kind of being paying off basically in a way that maybe isn't necessarily in an actual in actual physical money what do you think are the best ways to save money when you become self-employed i think it's really key to have two bank accounts so even if it's not necessarily a business bank account but you definitely want two separate bank accounts for your essentially for your income and your personal account Uh, i did that pretty early on when i went freelance and it's just been amazing um also you need to kind of earmark different savings pots which can be sort of you know you can open lots of different savings accounts or your your existing bank will often offer you e-savings accounts and ways to kind of like Mm. or if you use monzo or starling or whatever you can um create like like goals yeah pots or yeah. yeah exactly um but you need a couple of those one for holiday one for emergency fund um I kind of keep my holiday and sick pay sort of in one. You could separate mm-hmm. them out. But you need those kind of separate pots that are for distinct situations. Um, but I've got one for like tax insurance Yes, as exactly, well. yeah, tax. So you definitely need one for tax. Tax is actually one that you can um, also really take advantage of the high... This is so nerdy, but that you can take advantage of those high interest rate accounts because in theory you shouldn't be touching that money um, that often. So those fixed term... Because typically interest higher interest accounts you get them on fixed terms and typically you know you should be touching your tax for like several months exactly so um that's good advice yeah yeah you it's a it's a tricky one to get your head around because technically you pay your tax twice a year as a sole trader um so you might need to anyway it's it's this is getting ask, into the least of it, it but still, yeah exactly <laughs> but it's um uh yeah like uh i had a i think it was first direct i got a savings account with them for like five percent interest that's so good um, but it was a 12 month you know you had to keep the money in there for 12 months so um yeah stuff like that it's that's i think a really good way also obviously as a freelancer you know you can set your schedule and i love going to the gym in the middle of the day so I have an off-peak gym membership Uh, and there are all sorts of other kind of off-peak perks that you can um, take advantage of I I kind of don't like saying you know I think there is this school of thought that when you're talking about financial advice for women it's often kind of how can you save money um whereas when you talk about financial advice for men it's kind of how can you make more money how can you invest more um so I think there's ways to be, I think somewhere in the middle is kind of ways to be smarter about money. So using the off-peak example, I'm not going to the gym in the middle of the day 
to save money it's just taking advantage of the situation that I already have if that makes sense mm-hmm. um, and the same goes for holidays you know you can I go on holiday and you know I don't I don't bother about going over a weekend I'm happy to go in the middle of the week and stuff like that to kind of take advantage of that savings. yeah so when did you become self-employed July to what 2017 and it was because I got made redundant so school the school of thought that you have to have this big financial cushion saved up before you go freelance I didn't I didn't have that I mean I had savings but I didn't have savings that I had earmarked for this for embarking on the freelance journey obviously if you're planning to go freelance definitely do that but it can also work out if you don't and I think that um it can be very scary scary for people who start who go freelance as a result of redundancy I'm definitely not the only person that's happened to it happens very frequently especially in the media and other creative industries um but I don't think people need to be necessarily super freaked out if that happens because there are ways you can kind of work mm. around it and you can kind of save as you go. Uh, not to mention that those pots that I was talking about, you know, if you go on holiday, obviously you'll <laughs> deplete that pot, so you need to replenish it anyway. So there's there's kind of constant savings that you have to do. Yeah. So it might be the case that in that first year you don't get to go on that many holidays or whatever whatever the other kind of inevitable sacrifices are but you can save as you go Mm -hmm. so it's not the end of the world did you have that mindset right from the word go that you were self-employed not unemployed when you were made redundant yeah so I got made redundant on a Friday and um my mum took me out for a family lunch on the Saturday or the Sunday and you know it was very much kind of you know this is going to be hard and you know what are you going to do and all this kind of stuff and and my mum is so she's so supportive and so great at pep talks and kind of has always supported whatever I wanted to do but I was very much like no there's nothing to worry about here I'm not unemployed I'm (laughs) self-employed I'm not going to I'm just going to hit the ground running um I had been thinking about going freelance beforehand so it wasn't um it was obviously an on-the-spot decision to have to do it then and there and have the rug pulled out from under me but it was thing that I had been thinking about so it wasn't I guess a massive shock but yeah very much Monday morning got my laptop out sat down and started freelancing um I do think it's important if you do if you do find yourself accidentally freelancing to try and think of yourself as self-employed as soon as you possibly can because it just the 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 mindset thing is so key to I think everything to do with freelancing and this you know the more time and energy you can actually put into being in a good mindset as you know as 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 frequent frequently as you can be I think the better Mm, I completely agree Mm. and one of the first things I did I I actively chose to go freelance but I read your first aid (laughs) freelancers kit uh, which I would highly recommend and then I also signed up to the professional freelancer newsletter so how long was it after you went like freelance that you started that newsletter I think I started it that first week. I wasn't called the professional freelancer back then. Um, I just started a newsletter because I, I mean, it was very daunting that Monday. It was just kind of a whole week straight. And I was only thinking in weeks at the time, but Mm. the idea that I had a whole week and I didn't know what I was going to do with it. um, And I mean, luckily, because I'd been working in the media for, you know, for 
a good eight years before all of this happened, I and I had been a commissioning editor for most of that. I understood the mechanics of pitching, so it, you know, I, I yeah, you I, had the inside track, yeah, exactly, basically. yeah. But I didn't have any. I didn't have any commissions. I I mean, I, I always have ideas anyway, even when I was, even before I was freelance, I always had story ideas. But before I actually kind of got into a rhythm of sort of sending out those pitches, getting those first few commissions, I didn't want to be sort of looking down the barrel of a long week and not knowing what I was going to do. So I just decided to start sending a newsletter. Um, I'd been inspired by um, Anne Friedman's newsletter, and also Dolly Alderton used to send one, and also the Quartz newsletter, which is very different to what I do, but I have always loved newsletters as a medium. I think uh, I really like the ones which are a piece of standalone content that lives in your inbox. I think it's something that is very different to an article or, or content that you see on other platforms. I think kind of getting into someone's inbox is just a very different level of engagement. So yeah, I started sending a newsletter and it was kind of all over the place and I didn't really have a plan with it at the beginning. I was just kind of, I think I, I think in the, I should really dig it out, but I think in the first one I sort of announced what happened and kind of said, you know. I think that's really important as yeah. well. Just be like vocal about it, yeah. be honest about yeah. the situation. Exactly. And then... I just went through, I think I just sent it to about a hundred people who I knew personally. Um, and said, you know, gave them the link to sign up if they wanted to keep reading. And it very much started, I'm pretty sure I started with about 30 subscribers who were all friends and family. Um, That's how most of these things start. Exactly, though, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then at some point, and I kept doing it more or less every week, and I sort of messed around with the, what I was writing. Sometimes it was more kind of cultural criticism because I am a culture and technology reporter, so... I thought maybe this would be a place where I can give more of my kind of critical views on culture or something like that, but that didn't feel quite right and that wasn't really didn't really fit with what I was doing and I sort of experimented with all sorts of different bits. And the posts where I talked about freelancing were always the ones that were best received. And then at some point I actually put a call out in the newsletter to say, look, you know, I'm going to kind of start changing what I do with this newsletter what do people like about it? What do they not like about it? Mm -hmm. And a couple of my close friends wrote back to me and they said, look, the thing that you are, you know, what we, you're kind of good at is giving advice and being very practical. Like that is sort of you. And it's true. I am a very, very practical person. So um, they said, you know, everything that we talk about, anything that you've kind of given any sort of practical tips on, that's the stuff that is, you know, mm -hmm resonated with them the most um and then a very good friend of mine tiffany philippou who is co-hosting my own podcast she is a brand consultant and she kind of basically gave me a very detailed sort of brand analysis of what i was doing um and helped and asked me a few questions that really kind of helped me think about why i was doing the newsletter what i wanted to really be saying in it so more like a business mindset yeah basically. exactly yeah. yeah but it, it definitely was but at the same time the fundamental, what Tiffany has really taught me is what she always, what she's always trying to get at in any of the kind of branding stuff that she does. I really hope I'm not selling her secret sauce here, but um, <laughs> is she's always trying to get at the why. So why are you doing something? Mm -hmm. And that is equally as applicable to all areas of your life as it is to business. And from there, the newsletter kind of morphed and started, kind of evolved into what it is now. Once I kind of fell into a rhythm with it where I liked the format and 
how it was kind of all flowing. What is the format for anyone who isn't signed up? So it, there is a cartoon. The first thing you see is a cartoon, which is drawn by my um, very good friend, Leo Hamlin, who lives in New York. She's also a journalist. Um, uh, she's a videographer, but she also does graphic journalism, which is very cool. So she I does, love them. They're yeah, so good. Yeah, they're great. So she does a little doodle. And then there's about four or 500 words, uh, which is kind of basically me writing about either a recent experience I've had freelancing or giving some advice or discussing a kind of relevant freelancing issue. Um, and then I also have um, a jobs board in there. So often companies approach me with um, opportunities for freelance work. So that might be someone looking for a part-time writer or other things that a freelancer could do. And then I also do a roundup of calls for pitches that I've seen on Twitter. And I have a reading list in there, so things that I've seen on the internet people might find interesting to read. Um, and what else? Oh, I have a picture of my dog Dolly, um, who you actually may hear in the background because she's <laughs> licking her paws right now. Um, and um, so, uh, yeah, there's a picture of Dolly in there every week. Um, and I think that's it. I feel like I'm missing something. Can we there. touch on that quickly? Yeah. Please? I looked after my family dog, and I'd, I've only gone freelance this year. I looked after her and I just thought this is the best thing yeah. ever when you're working from home because it gets you up in the morning, you wake up to this lovely like wagging tail, yeah. you're so she's so yeah. happy to see you, go out for a walk. <laughs> I feel like just filling even little things like filling up her water bowl the whole time makes me remind myself to drink water mm. and just take regular breaks and yeah. go outside. And it's just so good. It's so good to structure your day. People, whenever people ask me, you know, how do you structure your day? How do you manage your time? What's your best advice? If I'm not, what's your best advice with freelancers? I'm actually, I say this when I kind of jokingly, but I'm almost not that you should get a dog. Yeah. It's so good because it gets you out of the house. It's another creature. Yeah, that's you've in, got company. You've got company. Um, it's, it's very, it's really, really good. And also, you know, you can you can give a lot more to the dog than you... I, I, I had her when I worked, and I kind of... I try not to think about... I, I can't believe I used to keep her and leave her all day. Um, I mean, she is she's an elderly dog that doesn't really need much walking, and, and I do see her all day. Now that I am working with her, she is just lying in her bed, even if I'm at home. Um, but still, it's... It, you know, I can give a lot more to her. Um, and, um, yeah, just... It, I would really advise anyone who's freelance to get a dog. <laughs> so from the newsletter, when did FJ and Co launch? Um, so FJ and Co is um, I call it a platform for freelance journalists. Um, basically, because I couldn't really think of another word to describe it. Um, <laughs> it's but, like events, and yeah, then, and now it's paid content as well. Yeah, so it's events. It's the newsletters kind of come under FJ and Co. I guess. Um, there are there'll be more digital resources um i made a guide that you mentioned earlier called first aid for freelancers which is like a downloadable pdf um there'll be more of those coming um and all sorts of kind of other stuff it's essentially a platform that gives freelancers tools and resources that they need to make self-employment work for them so that started in i sort of formally launched it in february um of this year and at the moment, yeah, it consists of an event series, um, which all of the events are currently being held at the Ace Hotel in London. 
and the newsletter which now has a membership option so if you subscribe to the newsletter you get additional content and you can also come to the panel events for free as part of the membership um, and there is an Instagram where I kind of post it's sort of Instagram is kind of essentially acting now as the sort of I guess digital community space for mm. FJ and Co it's something that I'm actually thinking about developing further but it's quite hard to sort of figure out the right platform uh, mm. I think I think a big challenge for freelancers is the loneliness thing which is why I run partly why I run events I mean I do the very practical panels but I also do free networking events which is just an opportunity for freelancers to meet each other basically um, and I would like to kind of work on that you know how can you replicate that digitally mm. so for now it's an Are Instagram you part of the like UK freelance uh, Facebook group I actually am uh-huh. an administrator on that group <laughs> I found that really helpful yeah it is very helpful there are lots of members in there um, I'm actually not naturally a big Facebook person. No, so, neither am I. It's yeah. basically the only thing that I use it for. <laughs> yeah, it's a tricky one because actually there are so many good Facebook groups for freelancers, not just journalists, all sorts of freelance groups. There's also general freelance Facebook groups. There's one called Freelance Heroes, which is massive. And um, <laughs> sorry, Dolly's, <laughs> Dolly's too hot now. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's a really great resource, but I, I do find it hard because I'm just, I'm not, I don't naturally have Facebook open on my computer. I, I used to a lot when I worked <laughs> in companies, but I just, I can go for quite a long time without being on Facebook. Um, but I think it's really important to have these groups and I think it's really important to sort of find whatever platform that you're most comfortable on and that you naturally go to and sort mm. of find your people there. Journalists do love to be on Twitter all day every day. Yeah, they do. <laughs> um, but it does feel good that the kind of in this digital world mm. there are pockets of people that you can connect with because otherwise I don't know anyone in my immediate circle of mm. friends who are freelance mm. or writers but then through social media I've kind of been able to get in contact with different people and then you feel a little bit less alone definitely it's so good it's great on so many levels Mm. um one I mean one of my one of my favorite things about being freelance is this idea that you get to pick your own colleagues so you can work with people who you you've made a connection with that you've genuinely clicked with not because you're forced to sit sit next to them because that's just you know the luck of the draw what I've really noticed is I don't know if it's because so many freelancers have started on this journey as a result of redundancy but there is this kind of camaraderie and just people are more collegiate towards each other journalists as a group tend to be quite guarded it's you know you are kind of trying to protect your own contacts and they're not very good at sharing typically but the freelance journalists that I know or at least the freelance journalist kind of community that I've sort of found myself into it and has and kind of fostered and yeah and has kind of grown around the newsletter and fj and co it's full of very kind very generous mainly women but not just women um who are very willing to share their rates to share their contacts to share their time and it's just it, it just is such a mm. joy to be part of that community and it just makes working so much more fun so my last question is what do you wish you'd known about money when you were 16 um that is such a great question that money 
comes and goes and you will have points where you're making loads of it and you'll have points where you're really struggling and it's not a linear thing there's an expectation that you're going to start off with no money and it's going to go on an upwards trajectory that's not necessarily the case it will go up and down and it really really is no reflection of your ability it is just how we as a capitalist society function and it's sort of the currency that everything is built on but it's no reflection of your worth and the sooner you can kind of divorce the emotional side of money from your identity the happier you will be thank you so much for listening to bang on the money you can find out more about anna at anna cod on twitter or instagram where she has details of the campaign fj and co and her podcast thank you to millie ashbridge for the music and Bahas for the cover and please do rate review and subscribe so that other people can find the podcast